Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. By Riverside. Welcome back to the Three Two Zone podcast in the middle of NBA playoff season. Dan and I just got off of a a worthwhile conversation about the NBA playoffs for two guys that have less than 0% interest in the NBA other than checking box scores. We just had a very impassioned conversation about how the games changed. I just – it's – I don't even necessarily – I guess the game has changed because people value free throws, but – for me, it's just like I tried to watch the Sixers on Sunday, and I just found myself so frustrated with the refereeing the whole time that I couldn't even enjoy it because, like, one end of the floor, it's a foul. The next, it's not. I don't know how you understand how you're supposed to play. Yeah, no. I mean, I I wish I could sit here and give you my, my full opinion on that, but I have watched zero NBA games this year. So I just want – the Sixers to win so I can stop hearing from Philadelphia fans about how they're cursed and everything. But you are rocking the process on our for our video and for our listeners live on YouTube. I know we got you guys out there. So um, Dan is rocking the 76ers, so we might as well shout them out and, and we'll make sure we get a good clip of you and in your Sixers gear and, and make sure we get it out on the social channels. Yeah, I'm just kind of being a poser. It feels like it's a should. Game five's tonight in Boston. Um, I'm sure they won't lose by 25 points. You sound like such a Philly sports fan right there. That is such Boston's a – the better team. All right, let's talk about baseball. Yeah, I, I don't know get, the answer to that. You're going to get me trapped here. Yeah, like I'm going to get trapped here. Someone's going to get real upset with me. Oh, uh, well, uh, speak- for this baseball podcast. Today. Yeah, well, speaking of Boston, let's talk about a guy who's had a pretty good month of May here, Masataka Yoshida. He came out of the gates this year kind of slow. 
Um, but he's turned it around in May, triple slashing 300, 400, 500, just casually, six home runs on the year, 80th percentile hard hit percentage, just showing up, posting, having a really good start to his career here in the States. And it's just been impressive because when you watch him swing specifically and, and when you watch his approach at the plate and what he's able to do, you, he looks hitterish. He uses the whole field. The juice is legit. He's he's sniffed that 420 sign this year at Fenway a couple times, and it's not even hot yet up there in Boston. So we want to give some love to a guy that doesn't strike out. He hits the ball hard, and he's having a lot of success in his first year here in the States, and he looked like, looks like he's going to be a formidable piece in the Red Sox lineup for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I uh... – I had to scramble real quick. I didn't know we were talking about Yoshida. We need producer Phoebe to start to keep me on 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 topic, <laughs> so I know what we're what we're doing. But yeah, no, I mean he's come over, and and I guess I apologize a little bit because I kind of uh, criticized the signing less about the player, more about the direction of the organization. But he's been great. I mean, and if he continues to trend the way he's trending right now, then they got him on a, a very reasonable contract for five years. Um, the thing that's so impressive to me, and I think sometimes when guys get to this level, whether it's coming from AAA, coming from Japan, coming from Korea, uh, you know, where it's just not quite the same pitching, right? Because I would say that's really what the U.S. kind of does better than anyone is this is where the best pitchers are for sure and the best players overall. But he hasn't chased, right? He's, he's his chase rate. He really works the zone. Um, and sometimes that's what can get guys is they want to come over and, and they're kind of swing happy and they don't quite they're not as comfortable with the strike zone and and um you see it all the time with guys obviously coming up from triple a where it's like the pitching isn't as good and they're not dotting everything like most of the guys do at, at the big league level and he really hasn't chased i mean he's he's sitting at i think 83rd percentile in chase rate in major league baseball right now yes and 90 90th percentile whiff rate and fun fact as we sit here games are starting the 9th of may so he's probably already started he hasn't swung and missed yet um which again, it's only been eight days. He's got a while to catch up to 2021 Freddie Freeman, who went, I think, like two months, um, which is ridiculous to think about. But still, to not swing and miss, especially with the stuff you're seeing in today's game, that tells you just kind of like that alone shows just how good of a hitter he is and can be. As a guy who swung and missed every at bat in college, um, <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. Unless I got a hit on the first pitch, I was swinging and miss. I, I I got my licks off. Let's just put it that way. I, I wasn't really I wasn't cheating you to him, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, I was just like sitting back trying to appreciate what it means to to not swing and that's miss wild. for eight days. Eight days, dude. I couldn't imagine not swinging and missing over eight at bats like dude like and to to still hit for power i remember that was like the whole thing with um steven kwan last year was oh he doesn't swing and miss and yeah that's great and all but you're talking about a guy in steven kwan who might not swing and miss but also puts balls in play at a you know way below league average exit velocity way below league average barrel percentage. Like he is less than 1% barrel percentage this year. He's a less than 21% hard hit rate than Steven Kwan. Well, you can take that skill set that Kwan does possess. And obviously Yoshida is not Kwan level bat to ball and t- tag it on a guy with a 48 per- 48% hard hit rate and a 10% barrel percentage. It's like, Oh, like that's legit. I mean, we talked about it on the episode that dropped this morning. Zach, what does Zach Wheeler do so well? 
right? He misses bats and limits hard contact. That's a recipe for success over the course of any given year, no matter what stuff you throw. Well, you can flip that and the ability to not swing and miss and the ability to not put balls in place soft, the combination of that leads to a lot of success for a lot of hitters across the league. And it looks like that's a skill set for Yoshida that should be something that sticks with him over the course of the years and something that in the transition to the States and the better pitching and the better quality and all of the adjustments that we talk about, I don't see any reason why that's going to go away. And, and it's just cool to see a guy have success right away. Yeah. Well, we probably sound like a broken record saying it, but like the more often you put balls in play hard, the more your chances of success are. So to be able to put the ball, put a lot of balls in play and put them in play hard, like where he's at with his average exit velocity, like a guy who doesn't strike out a lot, right? Why do you, part of the reason you don't see Quan, like to the point you were making a guy like Stephen Quan or some of the, you know, Luis Arias, who isn't always going to be up there in average exit velocities because they're putting so many balls in play. They're sacrificing some of that power. You've heard guys, Nick Castellanos talked about it at the beginning of the year. He wanted to swing and miss less because that was part of his issue last year. He wasn't, you know, he was, you know, getting outside of himself. And in the beginning, when he really started that slide, it was like, I was swinging and missing too much. I'm sacrificing a little bit of the power swing this year to put more balls in play. And I have to pick and choose my spots and get myself into better counts to then, you know, hit for a little more power. And so for a guy to be able to manage the zone that way and not strike out and not chase and to, like you said, find barrel that often, it's really impressive. Yeah, it is. It's very impressive. And it's, it's a recipe for success. I mean, that's, that's something that a lot of guys, even guys that have had success in the States and across an MLB career have to balance of making more contact in the sacrifice of quality or putting the ball in play hard in sacrifice of contact. And the, the epitome of that is Joey Gallo. Right. And Joey Gallo is a guy that we are the president and vice president, co-president, co-founders, co-hosts of the Joey Gallo fan club. We have a following that's starting to accumulate over time through social media. We've had some people asking where to join the Joey Gallo fan club. Well, when we start getting merch out, the Joey Gallo fan club is going to be a big part of that. But he is a guy that we've seen this time and time again. It's the balance of sacrificing the ability to make contact versus sacrificing the ability to make quality contact and put balls in play hard. And it's just the balance of what I find difficult because I think what Joey Gallo's run into a lot of times throughout the course of his career is what is everybody telling him he needs to do? He needs to make more contact, right? Every hitting coach in their right mind, every front office exec, every manager, when they're trying to figure out where they want to pencil him in the lineup has told him, you need to make more contact if you want to be the player that you can be, right? Cliff Floyd talked about it. He ran into Joey Gallo in this at the Super Bowl, and he's like, you need to be a better hitter. And Joey Gallo is like, yup, like I do because Joey Gallo is a prideful athlete. But when you get a guy that 
has a skill set like Joey Gallo and allowing him to just be that skill set and not knock him for the negatives, you can really empower them to be in a position to be successful. So I don't know exactly what the Minnesota Twins have done for that for him specifically. I know he doesn't have to be the guy in their lineup. They got a couple guys that are making a lot of money in Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa that are supposed to be the guys in that lineup. And he's able to just relax and be himself the whiff percentages are what they are. Six percentile whiff percentage, which over the last couple of years is actually the best he's ever been. They're down this year because he's actually putting more balls in play, which is cool for him. He's usually the worst in baseball, but quality of contact has gone through the roof. We're talking about every, two out of every three balls put in play are hard hit. He's averaging 96.5 Um miles per hour exit velocity, which is above what his career best were over the course of his career. And he just looks a lot more like the hitter that we saw leaving Texas in that, in that trade to the Yankees than the guy that we've seen, whether it be in pinstripes or in Dodger blue. Yeah, that was a big league segue by you, by the way. Um, I, I just want you to know that it, it didn't go unnoticed and it is appreciated. Uh, but like Gallo, and again, I'm saying this with rose-colored glasses on because, like you said, we're fans of him. We always have been, and, and we like him, and we didn't uh, appreciate the hate that he got in New York, and, and he scuffled. And, and make no mistake about it, Joey Gallo is the streakiest of streaky hitters in Major League Baseball, and he's in one of those those cold spells right now, and his average doesn't look pretty. You look at it, and you see his batting average, and it's like, well, this isn't, this isn't very good. He's hitting under you know 200 right now. Well, the thing for me is – like this is where sometimes you need to kind of look at the body of work and the peripherals don't completely tell the story. Right. And you and I, you know, talk to each other sometimes about becoming slaves to the savant page. And, and yeah, like he's expected batting is 1%, you know, he's in the first percent of, of expected batting. No, that's not good. But at the same time, it's because he's in the, like that is because of the fact that he's a hundred percentile max at, in average exit velocity. So no one hits the ball harder. So his batting average is what it is. Now, the thing that for me is you have to watch what he's doing. He's making more contact this year. He's not going to hit two, under 200 if he continues the pace that he's on. Is he going to continue to swing and miss? Is he going to continue to chase? Yes, but, I mean, those guys are a dime a dozen in Major League Baseball. To be the person who hits the ball harder than anyone else in Major League Baseball, that's where the success is going to continue to come. If he can continue to put the ball in play more and at a higher clip than he has in the past, with the power that he's shown – and kind of just what seems more like a calmness and a simplicity to what he's doing at the plate. The ball, he's just one of those guys, and that's why he was one of the top build prospects. That's why he burst onto the scene in Texas and hit a million home runs, is because the ball just comes off his bat differently. It looks different, it sounds different. He's a slug guy. He is the truest form of slug guy. Yes, he has 13 hits on the year, he has two singles. He's got 11 of his 13 hits are for extra bases. That's not normal. Now, I think obviously that we're going to find some middle ground here with him and the fact that he'll get his singles. But as long as he continues to put the ball in play, he will see an average boost. I don't think he's going to hit 300. I don't even think he's going to hit 250. But Joey Gallo hitting 230 with potentially 35 to 40 home runs, 30 to 35 home runs, that's a guy you stick in your lineup and you don't ask questions about it. We praise Kyle Schwarber as one of the best power hitters in the game. Now, his numbers are more like 40, 45 homers a year, but Kyle Schwarber hits 218 with 40 homers. Joey Gallo hits 220 with 35. You're telling me that he's not one of the better power hitters in our game? 
He is. He is. And what gets me is you look at the expected batting average. I, I've, you know, I watched a lot of Joey Gallo's at bats. Like, it's kind of unbelievable to think about that a guy could have the exit velocities that he has. And yes, he strike, strike out, strikes out a lot. Like, there's no denying that but still have an expected batting average of what it is. Like you would think some more knocks would fall, but you're just talking about a guy who, when he gets it, like there's no denying that it is crushed, crushed, crushed. There's nobody across baseball that has the variance of Joey Gallo. And I think that's where I always say like, I'm a Joey Gallo defender because it's okay to be the player that he is. Do you want nine Joey Gallows in a lineup? No. No. You never would. But you're talking about a guy who understands the strike zone, 95th percentile and walk percentage. He can get on base at a just as high of a clip as some of those guys that do hit for higher average because pitchers actually fear him. You're talking about a guy who's 93rd percentile and expected slugging percentage. He's hitting 186 with a 557 slug. That's only almost a 400 isolated power, which is absurd. So when you take all of those things considered and understand that maybe, just maybe, he's not going to be 250 with 40 home runs, you know, take the ball the other way guy, and you can build a lineup around guys more in the ilk of Byron Buxton, Carlos Correa, Max Kepler's been great in terms of batted broke ball profiles again like he's still underperforming his batted ball profiles which is just starting to become an enigma for him and what's going on and you start to consider all of those things combined and then you throw a joey gallo in and he doesn't have to be the focal point he doesn't feel the pressure of fans that hate him it's okay to have that player and he's allowed to have shortcomings and he's allowed to still be valuable and you don't have to have it either way. It doesn't have to be a decisive conversation. And when you look at it, how many guys in the league are OBPing 150 points higher than their batting average? That tells you that like the batting average probably needs to catch up a little bit and it will. And I also think that because of those factors, like because of the fact that he's never going to be you know, one of the better average guys and he's not going to collect the hits at the rate that most people want. And the batting average is never going to be pretty on the back of the baseball card. It makes it him a tough guy for a lot of fans to appreciate and like, you know, because there's a lot of people out there who want to, you know, they'd still look at average, right? It's still first in the triple slash and that's fine. And batting average does matter because you need to collect your hits and, and, and base hits matter. And I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying that, when you look at a guy that has the composition of Joey Gallo, people are going to find it hard to think he's as good of a player as he actually is because he's going to hit in the low 200s. Yeah. And I I will say I wouldn't put my money on the fact that he his batting average comes up from here. I would hope that obviously just in terms of luck, balls would fall in. Um, but I I wouldn't be surprised if he settled in at – I think above 200, yes. For sure. Um, if you look at his batted bro- ball profile and everything that's going on around just the batting average, he's going to settle in above 200. I think above 200. But even if he doesn't, if he provides you 30 home runs with like a 195 average, 
Like I know it's not what people want to see, but again, this is not a guy who you're expecting to win an MVP. I mean, if he hit 250, he would already have three, four MVPs under his belt. Um, and if he could just make, you know, a little bit more contact without sacrificing average exit velocity, which is the name of why he had, like, don't you think he's tried that? Like, Time and time again, that's kind of the the conversation that people don't want to have with him. Is like, dude, the dude's tried to do what you're trying, what you're saying, right. you try to do. Um, so it is a it is an interesting conversation for him. But it's good to see a guy, you know, get the monkey off his back, start to see some knocks fall. You know, now he's going into his first slump after just a really good start to the year. You know, have has a lull, the average is coming down, but he's going to have an opportunity to rebound from that and start to continue to gain confidence for a guy that was obviously lacking in the conference confidence department coming out of New York. And even in that transition into LA, he was kind of the same player and, you know, that finishing in LA, we all thought was going to be really good for him, but LA isn't always the factory that we think it is. It isn't the Jason Haywards every time they get a guy, you know, we've seen guys in the past struggle in a Dodger uniform. Yeah. I mean, they, they seem to hit more than they don't, but I think that, you know, and, and your point too is of, of the balance around Joey Gallo, like having a balanced lineup that matters. And, and I, look, <clears throat> he clearly was rock bottom when it came to confidence in New York that ate him up. And that's, you know, it's a tough market and, you know, they're the same people who go on the radio and accuse teams of cheating just because they're better than their team with no basis of fact. That guy's so a Mets not, fan, so don't even give the Yankee fans credit. It's, yeah, it's the city of New York. It is the, the city. city of New York. It's their fan bases. They, they, they all act the same. But, I mean, it's just that's kind of – that's that's a tough place to, to survive. And, and he was, and it's great. The, the point is it's great to see that he's, he's seemingly bounced back. Minnesota's a great spot for him the balance in that lineup, you know, because that was the other problem in New York is they had, they had too many guys with that same profile as Gallo. They didn't need another guy to do that. Right. They, they needed a guy to put the ball in play and, and be able to be gap, like a gap power guy who didn't strike out. That wasn't going to be Gallo. Whereas in Minnesota, they, they can have a guy um, who has the power of Gallo, who doesn't necessarily have the um, ball in play average um, characteristic. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and another guy who, you know, has struggled in the past and and who again, I, I mean, we're catching if these guys start to see a bump following this conversation, um, in terms of what they've been on the field, um, they're going to be able to attribute it to the backside ground balls podcast. No Cause question. another guy who's kind of going through a, a lull right now, but on the whole for this season has been just amazing. And it's Cody Bellinger. I thought I was going to lay up another pretty solid segue there, finishing the Joey Gallo conversation, not being able to hit in LA right into the Cody Bellinger conversation. But I wanted to give you an opportunity to to express your point on Joey Gallo and close it out. Um, so I didn't go full host mode, full dictator host mode there. But we'll get into Cody Bellinger. And obviously, this is a guy who... You know, th- this is where we need to have the real life conversation of what data can tell us, but how important confidence can be 
And it's the conversation that we had in the last episode where when a guy is searching or when a guy is growing into confidence, the batted ball profiles might not show elite production, quote unquote, but you know for a guy who has the success and has the track record and is building that up that you believe that those hits are real, right? You believe that power is real. And Cody Bellinger is who is a guy who is overperforming what his expected stats are saying they should be. But I believe that is a lot more because of the fact that he is building confidence. He's getting more comfortable. He's going to start to get more comfortable in the box, start to get his A swing off more often, start to do the things that look a lot similar, more similar to the Cody Bellinger of the 2019, the 2020 years than the guy that we've seen over the last couple of years. So I definitely want to say that while hard hit percentage, he's only 31st percentile, while barrel percentage, he's only average, you know, walk percentage, he's only average. This is a guy who, as he continues to get more confident in that Cub uniform and being able to continue to grow into the player that we once knew he was, I think those numbers are going to start to even out and trend more to the superstar that we know he can be. Yeah, look, I mean, I, we've said this before on here, and, and, and like the shoulder injury really, really mattered for him, I think. And I think once the shoulder injury happened, it kind of changed how he moved. Uh, we've talked countless amounts of time with every guest we have me and you about how important movement is and understanding your body and it changes over time and when you have an injury like he did a shoulder injury that can change kind of how you move and how you swing the bat and I think he was just searching and lost the last couple of years look this is a guy who burst onto the scene and won an MVP in 2019 and that talent is obviously still in there and I think the change of scenery was perfect for him and going to Chicago was even better like what a perfect landing spot a team that doesn't have a a bunch of expectations he can fit right into a lineup with some really good veterans I think that's probably you kind of look at that team and you look at that clubhouse it seems like a clubhouse where it's easy for guys to kind of fit in get along um you know guys like Ian Happ who we know are good leaders Dansby um people of that nature and look Look what's happening. He's starting to look like the old Cody Cody Bellinger again. And and like you said, he's in a little bit of a slide here the last week or so. He didn't have a great week uh, start to the month. But this is a guy who's now hitting 298. He's got, you know, he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. He, I, you know, he hasn't been crushing the ball, um, but he's got his home runs. He's got seven of them. He's stealing bases. He's playing really good outfield defense. He's not striking out. He's not swinging and missing nearly as much. And, you know, again, to your point, like as the confidence continues to come back, I think the numbers are going to continue to follow it. And good for him because he signed a one-year prove-it deal. And, and as we sit in May, he's going to make himself a little bit of money. Yeah, and he's still an elite defender. He can still bring value with the legs. And if you can just get him to hit for some power, you know, you don't have to hit 40 bombs like you did in 2019. And no. and you were really just a superstar and, and looking like one of the, the faces of baseball moving forward. We're starting to see that that might be a flash in the pan at this point. But you're talking about a guy who can settle in more to that, you know, 265, 270, 475 slugging percentage. 350 to 375 OBP and that's a very valuable player and and something that a lot of teams would sign up for 
while playing elite center field defensively and running the bases and, and bringing value with your legs in more than one way. So I definitely think he's going to continue to get more comfortable. Chicago, you mentioned, is a great city to play in. It seems like, especially with what that group has going on, um, I think he's going to continue to play really good baseball. Is he going to be the Cody Bellinger of 2019? No, that might never happen again, but he's starting to at least look like a guy that you know is valuable compared to the last two years where he was arguably didn't deserve to be in an MLB lineup. I mean, I think that's that might be a nice way of putting it um, compared to what the stats tell you. But um, another guy who, who, quite frankly, we're, we're going to switch over here to the to the dirt circle in the middle of the field that the game's kind of controlled by, and and this is a guy who's kind of had a weird um, last couple years. You know, this episode could probably be labeled the the Yankees misfit toys because this is a guy who a lot of Yankee fans had given up on and and for good reason. I mean, I, I don't think they were there was anything wrong with what they had said about Araldus Chapman, but he's gone to Kansas City and whatever he's done this year, this offseason, whatever he's been able to change, the fastball average velocity is back upwards of 100 miles per hour. We've seen him touch 103 a couple of times, which is a huge deal for a guy that looked like it that was never going to happen again. Um, he was sitting more in the 97 and 98 range. Fastball vertical movement was down, all the things like that. You're talking about a guy who's limiting hard contact, who's not getting at anybody to chase but he's getting a 99th percentile whiff percentage. He is just pounding heaters in the zone at a 65% clip and guys are just swinging right through it. So Dan, so far this year, what have you seen with Araldis Chapman that makes you think that, uh, you know, well, obviously the resurgence is real because the velo is back, but you know, what do you see that has changed then? Yeah, I think, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, when he broke into the league, he threw 88% fastballs. Right. And obviously that's kind of steadily dipped throughout his career, but it's at the lowest point it's ever been at 57% this year. And I think that's important because as he lost that velocity and that electricity, he was kind of left with nothing. This was like, think if Mariano Rivera had lost the cutter, the effectiveness of the cutter in his career, what would he have gone to? Would he have been as effective as he had been in the past? No, he wouldn't have. And, you know, Along with losing some of that fastball velocity when he was in New York, he lost the strike zone. He lost confidence. And there was a bunch of injuries sprinkled in. And, like, you put that in a pot and stir it up, and you've got a disaster, right? Like, you just you just cooked up a disaster for a, a back-end reliever because those guys need to be confident. They need to have explosive stuff, and they need to be able to get swings and misses. He wasn't doing it the past couple of years in New York. The fastball comes back. He developed the slider because he kind of had to. It's gotten better. He he sprinkles in a splitter about 9% of the time now this year. But the fastball, being able to throw that fastball 100-plus miles an hour like he had for his entire career is his bread and butter. He now is, you know, when he's doing that, he's comfortable and confident enough to just say, here it comes, good luck, hit it. It comes from the left side. I have elite extension, so not only is it 100, it looks like it's 150 because I'm releasing it from what feels like 45 feet. So you feel like you're in Williamsport when you're facing me in the Little League World Series. And that it's impossible, so he just pounds his own with it, and that's what he's done here. And now that he has the feel for the slider, he mixes in the split-finger fastball, 
it's just brought him back to like all-star closer oldest Chapman and what a win for not only his career but how about a win for the Royals who now if he continues this are going to have a significant trade chip at the deadline to move because a contender you're telling me you wouldn't want a guy who's closed out the biggest games year in and year out for the last eight nine years before you hit that hiccup to acquire him if you're a team at the deadline that needs bullpen help like uh let me check the list every team needs every year at the deadline. Like this is this is massive for him and he's going to be pitching big innings in the postseason again. And I mean it's it's incredible because you know, he's limited the hard contact which sometimes when you see these guys who throw a billion miles an hour and get swings and misses their average exit velocity is really you know, it's it's some of the worst in the league because the few times it gets put in play when it's a billion, it comes off the bat at a billion. Hasn't been the case with him, right? He's getting soft content. So he's getting swings and misses. He's getting soft content. And to your point, the thing that might be the craziest of all is the fact that he's six percentile in chase rate. He's putting up stupid numbers and guys aren't swinging. They're swinging and missing at strikes. And we've talked about it several occasions. One of the best ways to evaluate big league pitchers and their and their specific pitches is can they get guys to swing and miss in the strike zone? Because that's the only way you're going to be successful in Major League Baseball. The guys' eyes are too good. He's doing it better than anybody else. He's doing it better than anybody else. Like this is prime or oldest Chapman, but it's 2023 and he's pitching for Kansas City. Yeah, this is the highest average velocity on his four-seam fastball that he's had since 2017, which was the first year in pinstripes in New York. So huge step up. And, and you know, just to kind of put my – as I scan through his, you know, statistical outlook from last year, the walk percentage was up to 17.5%, coming off a year where he was worst in the league at 15.6%. It's obviously down this year. He's attacking the strike zone. But one of the things that he's added over the last couple of years is the split finger. And I think what obviously the Yankees and what he himself probably wanted to start doing was, hey, we have this weapon. Your fastball isn't what it used to be. Let's throw this split finger more. Let's see if we can get some chase because when he threw competitive splits, they were gross and they got a ton of swing and misses. But the split finger is such a hard pitch to just command in the strike zone for a guy that just learned it. So no matter what the movement profile is, no matter what action it has, no matter how deceiving it is to the hitter, he's going to spike a couple of those. He's going to let one go that's at the hitter's eyes. He's not going to be refined with that. We see Kevin Gaussman, who finally, you know, over the course of his career has now just dialed in the ability to command that pitch, but he doesn't throw it for strikes. It just gets so many chases. So I think that's kind of where I correlate the the kind of changes. The Yankees wanted Aroldis Chapman to adapt it to be a new Aroldis Chapman, right? You want your 97 to play up, let's throw a split finger off it that has elite vertical break that falls off the table, and let's just let you throw these little hoppers off these little bowling balls, and you'll be elite again. Well, it's very hard to throw that split finger in that tunnel, and it's very hard to be consistent with it, and I think that just put Chapman in a bad spot, and then he's throwing sliders that he doesn't trust, he's throwing heaters that he doesn't believe in, and next thing you know, you basically have the shell of a pitcher that was once the most feared reliever across the game of baseball. Yeah, and I I mean, just think about the confidence thing, too, that I just keep going back to with him is because, like, 
you think about just like his his in zone percentage, right? So the amount of strikes he was throwing, he's gone up by eight point one percent from last year to this year. Like, and that's just yeah. There's a little bit of command in there that that's he's gotten some of that back. But I also think a lot of it is confidence and just the f- the fastball velocity for him. Him knowing that he's out there chucking triple digits again, he can throw his fu fastballs, which is what he's made his living doing. He can do it, and he can be confident in doing it. And he's just pounding the zone. And now, <clears throat> add in the splitter when he's ahead in the count. As that thing gets better, as the slider continues to, you know, he continues to feel that slider out. The chase rate will probably go up this year which is kind of scary to think about because, again, he's so effective right now and he's not getting swings and misses out of the zone. Imagine if he starts to get chases out of the zone. It's going to be, I mean, you're going to see, again, this is prime Aroldis Chapman back in front of our eyes. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and it's fun to see. I mean, it's. I'm not going to sit here and say known good guy, Aroldis Chapman. No. Um, so it's not like he's a guy that I necessarily – root for like a Joey Gallo. So it wasn't like I was sad to see him struggle in New York. It was kind of just like, oh, well, sucks to be a Rodas Chapman, but it's good to see. But in terms of actually being able to root for a guy, it's kind of been a weird couple years. Um, COVID really threw things off for this player. It's Eduardo es- or Eduardo Rodriguez, who's with the Tigers now. He's a guy who even coming out the gates this year, had two clunkers. He gave up three in a couple innings and then gave up four in his second start. And it was just like, oh, welcome back, Eduardo Rodriguez. You're more of the same last year. Well, he's rattled off. Listen to this game long. Six innings, one earned, three strikeouts. Eight innings, zero earned, 10 punchies. Seven innings, zero earned, six strikeouts. Five and two thirds, one earned, five strikeouts. Eight innings, zero earned, nine strikeouts. So since giving up seven earned runs through his first two starts, he's only given up two earned runs since, and he's dropped his ERA from 5.06 all the way to 1.81. So it's been a weird couple years for him since he's joined the Tigers and, and left the Red Sox where he was a very formidable arm, but it's cool to see that he's finally regaining what made him successful when he was with the Red Sox. Yeah, and really, to me, it's the fastball cutter, right? I mean, he's a guy who, you know, he's he hasn't changed his pitch mix much, but he's changed the pitch usage and his success rate with the, 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 the pitches has been great. He barely throws the slider. He didn't throw it much last year, but it's really fastball cutter, you know, sprinkles, changeup, and, and sinker. The changeup he throws a lot, and the changeup was a disaster for him last year. It had a run value of nine. Now it's at one, which is right around average, right? But the fastball cutter has just been so good, right? He's got like a, a, a run value of negative six on the cutter and negative five on the fastball, which again, in layman's terms, just means he's people aren't hitting it. Um, people are struggling against those pitches. His command has been much better this year um, than it was in the past. And he was really susceptible to the long ball last year. Well, now he's just inducing weak contact left and right. I mean, he's average K, right? He does not strike in a ton of people out. He doesn't get swings and misses, but... He's kind of understood how to pitch in the zone. Um, you know, he's 92nd percentile on average exit velocity. So guys aren't barreling him up. And listen, this was a guy who was kind of a pretty big free agent when he left Boston. And to your point, COVID really, he, he got a really bad case of COVID and that kind of derailed that shortened year. But he's come back and he's been brilliant. Yeah. And even in 20, 
21. He's a guy that on the, on the course of his career has been pretty solid in terms of peripherals. Um, he's had multiple years of, <clears throat> excuse me, of striking out more than 25% of the hitters that he's faced. He's limited hard contact. And even in that 2021 season where he kind of laid an egg with a 4.74 ERA, his expected ERA was a 3.47. So like, you're like, okay, let's get this guy back healthy. Let's get him back to be the pitcher that he was more in line with what he was in Boston. And we think he's going to be good. And then I don't know what happened last year. He had that where he kind of just disappeared. I mean, he struggled out the gate and then he just went MIA. Nobody knew. It was never really announced. I know we've seen a lot of times this year, guys going on the injured list for anxiety. Maybe it was something like that, but he's a guy who expected stats, said he was bad. He was bad. And then you come into this year and, and, first two starts was just like, okay, like, is this guy just a guy who's hitting 30 and he's just dead in the water? We saw that happen with the Tigers in the past. Jordan Zimmerman goes to the the Tigers and, ooh, name from blast from the past there. What did Jordan Zimmerman do in the Tigers uniform? Thankfully, they were in a rebuild, so they just rolled him out there like the Nationals do with Patrick Corbin right now because you got to pay him anyway. Might as well get a guy who's going to pitch and struggled. So were we just seeing something similar? And I don't know what changed for him. I don't know what clicked. I don't know if he just needed to get his sea legs under him in the season. It is cold up there in Detroit in the early year. We, I mean, at the beginning of the year, we were looking at freaking snow and just misery up there. Maybe it was just warm weather's helped him. Nothing's been a big difference with his pitch usage. And we're just seeing a guy that is just Pitching more like the guy that we expected when the when the Tigers signed him to a contract. His contract to me was a lot of the ilk of the, and I'm not comparing these guys, but just in the Max Scherzers, in the guys that you sign and you think they couldn't get better, right? The guys that you give a free agent contract to, especially on the mound, and you expect them to stake that step forward. I thought that was going to be something more in line with what he would do. He had a couple really good years in 2018 and 2019 with the Red Sox, but it just fell off. It's really cool to see that he's back being closer to the pitcher that he was a couple years back. This version of Eduardo Rodriguez, what Casey Mize was supposed to be, Tariq Skubal, you can kind of get behind that, can't you? Can't you? I know oh, we did been, this before, but yeah. like, I just like it's so frustrating because it's like this team, like, oh man, like, and how about the turnaround that Javi Baez? I mean, I know we're not here to talk about the Tigers, but it's an interesting organization, and I'm happy for Eduardo Rodriguez because anyone who you know deals with some of the things he's had to deal with, he's a guy you want to root for. Um, and look, when guys reinvent themselves like this, I think it's so impressive because you obviously get to the major leagues doing something. And then to kind of have to, you know, hit a point in your career, it's kind of the antithesis of, of Madison Bumgarner, right? A guy who was good for what he was and, and refused to change when clearly that wasn't working anymore. And now he's out of baseball. Um, did he get picked? He didn't get picked up, right? Since he's mm-hmm. been DFA. Yeah. Nope. So, I mean, I think it, it, it's like. It, I almost said something very mean. Go ahead. I said he was going to be, tra- I, I thought he's going to be Trevor Bauer's teammate in a week here. Who, Bumgarner? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't mind have, to see that. I'm, I have think fun in Japan, bud. Tired. Why don't you Why don't you go get in the tired. water and head to your new organization, bud? <laughs> Max Muncy leads the league in homers. Get out of here. 
Yeah. See, everybody was kind of tired of Zach. But yeah, but Rodriguez clearly, you know, he understood that what had gotten him to the league and was successful in the first, you know, five or six seasons of his career wasn't really working. And he had to uh, kind of change things up. And he's found a way to do that. And I just hope it continues. It can get tough. You know, I also think sometimes people forget when you're pitching for a team that's losing as much as the Tigers have in the past, it's really tough to take the ball every fifth day and feel like the only way you're going to get a win is if you're perfect. And I know guys in that point, you're kind of pitching for yourself and pitching for your, your stats, but that's not easy to do. It's a lot easier to be on a team that's competing for something and winning and have, it's a lot more fun. You go out there and you know that if you give up a, a two spot in the first, you're done a three spot and this game's over. It gets tough. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to talk about that with a lot of guys, you know, but it's like it's the midweek syndrome, right? You run an arm out there, he gets he gets blown up in the first two innings, and then next thing you know, like some guys are good enough and talented enough to take selfish at-bats, right? And I know big leaguers are great and big leaguers, but they're competitors too. And I think pitching's the same thing. It's like I'm a guy who goes out there and I can't take selfish innings. Like, cause at the point of being in a position where you only lose and your, your at bats don't mean anything, your innings don't mean anything. You're just going out there. And the only thing you're pitching for is pride, pride and ego. And some guys just don't get the juice for that. And I, I don't blame them, you know, and, and it is interesting to see that the Tigers have been playing much better baseball. I can start to wrap my head around the idea of this team becoming formidable. Mm-hmm. Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson's had a good start to May. He's got to get going. We got to figure out what does Spencer Torkelson need to get hitting as valuable big leader because this is a guy who's done it in the minor leagues. He was a top. He was the number one overall pick for a reason. We we got to figure something out with them. Get Tariq Scubel healthy. Get Casey Casey Mize healthy in the game today. Understanding how valuable a good split finger is. Get those guys. I mean, Alex Viedo, get him to kick him to the curb because he looks like a grease ball the other day pitching. <laughs> I was like, man, they let this man out of the freaking hotel looking like that. But, you know, you have some pieces there and, and you just don't want Alex Viedo starting games for you at this point in time. If you're going to be a true contender and I think the lineup and everything, it's good to see for Javi too, because I, I don't, yeah. I think Javi's obviously a guy who has a bad rep and obviously the last couple of years since he signed to Detroit have not been good for him, but maybe that was the wake up call he needed. Maybe he needed a little slap in the face and, and AJ Hinch is a guy that I, I like a lot and I actually have a lot of respect for. And I think he's should it's be doing like a good cheers. job there. Yeah, he stop. No, AJ Hinch was not <laughs> like, he got such a raw deal in that. Everybody but knows it. You'd hire Carlos Beltran real quick for your, uh, I would 100% hire Carlos Beltran. What do you mean? You like cheaters. I just was curious. I would hire Carlos Beltran in a heartbeat. He got a raw deal too. But <laughs> Alex Cora, I don't like Alex Cora. I read the I well, I read the book by Evan Drellich about the cheating scandal which for all intents and purposes was a little bit more negative than I think it should have been. Um, I know they cheated, but it it was rough. Um, well, they didn't get negative. any punishment. So if that's the worst that happens is there's a book that comes out and it's a little harsh, I think they'll be fine because nothing well, the, else happened. The problem for me was it was harsh on how they built the team. 
Ah, right. Okay. And That's like, if there's anything that the Astros did well during that, it was build a freaking contender through, you know, being smart and like just nitpicking like Sigma Dell, nitpicking, you know, Lon Hal, nitpicking Elias and nit- like all these people that like I thought were great decision makers. That doesn't mean they're good people. They're good decision makers. And just finding any negative to point out in that. You'll have to read it because I think you would feel the same way. It's like, I don't feel sorry for these people, but like, if we're not going to acknowledge the fact that this management group did a phenomenal job in building a World Series winner and give them credit for what they deserve in that, like, I have a hard time doing that. But a lot of the the cheating stuff was built around Cora, you know, specifically. And Cora is a guy, he and then in, in Boston too. So yeah, and then brought it over to Boston. So, but I, I just think Hinch. I just respect Hinch what he did in Houston in terms of his ability to relate to players. His ability, you know, you see those guys speak very highly of him, and I think that from what you hear from Tigers players as well, it's more of the same. And he's a guy who keeps a very level head through a lot of different things. So I, I definitely, I do, I am an AJ Hinch fan. I'm not a Jeff Lonhal fan, though. If you're wondering, fair enough. No, I wouldn't be either. And, and, and you know, those guys are all kind of out. I just didn't. I didn't appreciate what MLB's stance on the whole thing. But yeah, no, I actually am an AJ Hinch fan myself as well. I think yeah. he was actually. I think he's a really good manager. All right, you ready to play a game? Yeah, let's go. All right, so. Uh, we're going to do blind resume tonight. I'm going to give you, we're going to do two separate. So I'll give you two players here. I'll give you their numbers right now. You tell me which one and potentially why, and then we can get a discussion why I'm not trying to, I just want you to, I've said this to you off air. I want to reinforce. I'm, this is not a gotcha exercise. It's just interesting looking at some players side by side without putting kind of a name on it. And because we all have biases and stigmas um, and then kind of comparing where they are. And obviously it's early May. So player number one, Player number one is slashing 279 with a 364 OBP, 357 slug for a 721 OPS, right? So just above league average. Eight stolen bases. Uh, He does have a homer. Um, Only one. Um, And eight, I said eight, I told you eight stolen bases. Uh, 97th percentile on K percentage, 85th percentile on expected batting average, 99th in whiff percentage, 80th in walk percentage. So he gets on. Player number two, 252, 313, 366 slug for a 679 OPS, a homer, nine RBIs, five stolen bases. He's 97th percentile as well in whiff percentage, 94th in K percentage, only 48th percentile in walk percentage. I'm taking the player number one, walk percentage, on base percentage. If we're not getting slug from either of them, because slug is very important to me, I want the guy who's going to get on base and – not that the steals make a difference there. He does have a couple more bags there, but I'm taking player one. So two interesting players that I gave you here. Um, none like one better than the other. Like a lot of times when people- Brady disagreed like, with me, I guess. That's fair. I think you will you might disagree with yourself as well, but um, it's interesting because a lot of times when people do this, it'll be like player one is Trevor Powers and player B is Mike Trout. Um, I didn't want to do that here necessarily. So the first player was Stephen Kwan, which I find interesting because that's just kind of his profile and what we expect him to be. Now, obviously, I omitted some numbers. Like he obviously isn't hardest hit and, and the slug isn't there. But the other guy and what made this kind of fascinating to me is Key Brian Hayes, who 
Um, his expected slug is 68th percentile. We just haven't seen it. And we really haven't seen it since he's come up, since he debuted. And I've kind of just continuously sat and waited. We know he's an elite defender. I just continue to sit here and go, when is he going to break out? Like, when is it going to happen? <laughs> like, I know it's in there. When he debuted, if you remember, he did. He showed for those couple months, like, a ton of power, a ton of like what looked like just a guy who was going to be an explosive offensive player. It just hasn't come together. You look at it, though. He's a guy who's clearly doesn't swing and miss. He's putting the ball in play. Now, he has been putting the ball in play a lot harder this season. I'm just waiting for when we're going to see the key Brian Hayes that I kind of was expecting. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that's that's the big old question of like, it's a matter of if he's capable of it at this point in time and, and what does he need to do because he brings elite defense to the table. He's showing better exit velocity. He's a guy that performed in his rookie year campaign and, you know, being able to come up right away and be that valuable and be that good. People were talking about him as being a future superstar. Then he goes down with the injury and he just kind of gets pushed under the radar. I mean, I remember people having the conversation that he might be the best prospect in baseball when he was coming up and he was in that Wander Franco timeframe. So we're talking about a guy who was bringing all of the elements and it's interesting to see, but you know, when you can't, if you're OBPing 300 and you're not showing any signs of any juice, batted ball profile, yes. So like, obviously that's the predictive measure, but from what we know in terms of the ability to get on base, at least we know what Stephen Kwan brings. Cabrian Hayes, we can't have these ebbs and flows of what you've been able to do. Well, and a big issue, right? And I mean, I'm just going to throw this out on with me here. He's got a career 5.2 average launch angle. Like that's part of it, right? Like we got to fit like a little bit of Yandy Diaz here without Yandy Diaz was finding more hits than he was and was an elite on base guy, which made him so valuable. And now obviously, you know, why we considered him an MVP profile if he learned how to lift the ball and he has, but like ask Yandy who his hitting coach was. I hope he got a chance when Yandy was on third at the drop last weekend. Um, like, Hey man, who was your, who's your hitting coach? Cause I need to get a little lift too. Um, yeah. And because I think both you and I, when you look at Stephen Kwan and Key Brian Hayes, like I would much rather have Key Brian Hayes than Stephen Kwan. Yeah, definitely. All right. Last one here, last comparison. First player here we're going to give you. He's got a 306 average, a 390 on base, a 468 slug, an 858 OPS, five homers, 13 RBIs, 76 percentile on K rate, 61st percentile on walk rate, weighted on base of 80%, 80. 80 percentile, 80 percentile expected batting average, 71st percentile expected slug, only 8th percentile on average exit velocity, which is kind of surprising to me a little bit. Um, I don't know if that gives anything away or not, but the next guy, however, is 217 average, 320 on base, 426 slug, only 746 OPS, five homers, four stolen bases. His numbers aren't as great. 33rd percentile on K percentage, 31st percentile on expected batting average. Um, he is 76th percentile on average exit velocity, but only 55th percentile in expected slug. I mean, I'm going to go with guy number one. Yeah. Higher on base, higher everything, really everything across the board there. The average exit velocity worries me a little bit, but the expected stats show that he's at least good enough to find a barrel. Um, maybe get to the pull side a little bit more than 
than uh, you'd expect for a guy that doesn't hit the ball as hard and at least get line drives over the infield. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there as well, especially because we've seen the five home runs now the player plays in Coors Field. The first player was Chris Bryant. The second one was Francisco Lindor there. I just found it kind of interesting because, honestly, I've been sleeping on Bryant here for the last year plus. I think I've admitted that um, recently. But he's he's kind of put together a little bit better of a year, and he's kind of looked like himself again. Lindor, on the other hand, I'm kind of surprised because I felt like just from not having looked at his savant page yet and not really dove in, I felt like Lindor was having just a couple games I've watched. I, like, I really was liking what I was seeing of Lindor. And, and, you know, part of my problem with the Mets lineup coming into the year was, and they're struggling right now um, pretty bad here over the last couple of weeks, is that, like, I need Francisco Lindor to be more than he's been, and he's still kind of yet to show it. Yeah, I think that Chris Bryant, again, we talked about this with Ronald Acuna a lot. Guys who come off of injury-riddled season, they need to get their sea legs under, right? They need to get back into the swing of things. So I never try to look too much into average exit velocity. What's his max exit velocity? I'm obviously not looking at it. Yeah, so like – Okay, but he's hitting yeah. in Colorado. He should be better for a guy that has, you know, been one of the better power hitters across baseball. Um, but Lindor's K percentage is up. He is it's the highest it's ever been in his career. And he settled when he was in Cleveland a lot more in line to 15%. He's up to 25% whiff percentage. So that is worrisome to me, um, especially for a guy who's not showing that much power. I don't know, man. I, I'll tell you that like we talk about like we've had our spats about big contracts and signing guys long term and, and giving these young bucks 10 years as, as they trend into their late 20s, early 30s. And Francisco Lindor is a good example that you have to be weary of that it's hard to play baseball. It's a physically demanding game especially late into position. your 30s, especially at that position especially when athleticism is a big part of your game especially when your legs are a big part of a game especially when you hit from both sides of the plate like that brings a whole nother element into it and it just in terms of what you're investing your money in it makes things a lot more difficult to have peace of mind knowing that you're locking up a guy who when francisco lindor signed the contract we're like man good for the good for the mets now you're sitting there going man would they have been better off just like letting them walk, saving their pieces, whatever it would have been. And obviously hindsight's such a powerful drug when it comes to perspective, but it's tough when now that contract just doesn't look good. Right. Yeah. I mean, and the Mets need him. Look, they're, they're struggling. They're game under 500. Um, I believe they're losing to the Reds as we sit here tonight. Um, and kind of, yeah, it's three, nothing in the, in the second inning um, in Cincinnati, they haven't gotten the starting pitching. Scherzer scratched again. So you go through the Scherzer timeline. It was like he came out, he got suspended for 10 games from the rosin. Well, he was hurt and he got suspended for 10 games because of the rosin. Missed two starts, came back, got shelled. Now he's scratched again with back spasms. Verlander's only had one start, didn't look good. I don't think it's, you know, it's not time to panic yet. It's May. I think it'd be a little ridiculous, but if they're going to do what it's not time to expect. panic. Have you seen Frank the tank? I, okay. Mommy? Yeah. Well, <laughs> sane people. Me into say, you almost baited me into saying something really mean there. If 
if they are going to go to where they think they're going to go and where they hoped to go, they need Francisco Lindor to turn it around. Pete Alonso has been absolutely tremendous. He, it's a, it's a, it's the angel story of every year. One guy can't carry a lineup. He yes. needs help. Yeah, they, they, they do need help across the board. And, and if Francisco Lindor is not going to be the superstar, we talked about this with Joey Gallo fitting in the Twins lineup. Vice versa, Jeff McNeil becomes that much less valuable. Brendan Nimmo becomes that much less valuable because then you're needing guys like that to outperform what they're capable of doing. If Francisco Lindor yep. could hit you 25 home runs, give you an 800 OPS, hit in your three-hole hit from both sides of the plate, give you 300 average, just be that dynamic hitter across the board. You can have guys like Brandon Nimmo in front of him on basing 380 and, you know, hitting doubles and Jeff McNeil having a high average behind him, clearing the bases out when he needs to with Pete Alonso sprinkled in there in the middle. You're good to go. You have your young bucks, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez. They can start to come up and, and be a little bit more valuable and, and be pieces in that lineup. But if Francisco Lindor is not going to be that superstar, Every guy outside of him now needs to pick up the slack in some capacity, and that's expecting too much from guys that just might not be capable of doing it, whether it be Beatty and Alvarez who aren't capable of doing it today, maybe in three, four years, or whether it be McNeil and Nimmo, guys that just don't have the skill set to pick up the slack for a Lindor. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm sure as we get to summer rolls on, we'll talk about them a million times. As we will yeah. the Yankees. We haven't really touched on either team yet. We have like not really touched on, on either team. <laughs> by both of us. A little bit. We're going to give it a little time. And I think a little bit. Right we, we'll, have to, uh, we'll have to check the, the data and analytics. There's a reason why those uh, big market um, podcasts and those big market baseball shows talk about the Yankees, Dodgers, and Mets a lot. It's because there is a lot of interest in those fan- franchises there's a lot of appeal when you give some some clickbait headlines about the Yankees and the Mets so maybe it'll be something that we have to reevaluate here and and maybe just go full clickbaity on our on our New York fans and and our friends of the of the Empire State but until next time obviously make sure you're doing all the necessary stuff to help us grow the podcast checking out our sponsors They've been a huge help to the podcast, obviously, and being what we want to accomplish. Our friends over at SeatGeek for any of your live event needs. NBA playoffs are in full swing. Dan is trying to get in the car right now to drive up to Xfinity Live to check out the Sixers and just be a full-bred Philly fan. Um, We got NHL playoffs. Carolina's playing great hockey right now. It looks like they're going to compete for Stanley Cup with the Bruins eliminated. Um, Just a lot of fun sporting events, and obviously we have MLB season in full swing. Check out BetterHelp for anybody who's interested in having therapy that's basically on the click of your phone. Being able to have access to the necessary help that you need at the drop of a dime is huge. Uh, Make sure you're checking out BetterHelp. At least fill out the questionnaire on our website, betterhelp.com slash backside ground balls. Be able to fill out the questionnaire and be able to get some information about that as well. Make sure you're liking sharing and subscribing to the podcast anyway to help us grow share with five friends we're getting into the full swing of things i know we got listeners out there our friends out there in germany our friends across the states of the united states as we can 
continue to grow and get into new states that we had not been in. We got a listener in Switzerland. Now we're growing. The backside ground balls is worldwide. So it's been a very exciting time for us. And we're hoping that it's just the beginning of what is going to be a huge growth throughout the season. And we can continue to provide baseball content for each and every one of you. But until next time, we got a really fun episode coming up on Thursday. So make sure you're checking that out. You're looking for it on all your podcast platforms. But until next time, we'll see you guys on the next podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek. Find your game you want to go to and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL.